and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded, and Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and became a servant. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. Now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments, for they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and God hardened or made strong Pharaoh's heart that he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. The Lord said to Moses, Say unto Aaron, Take your rod and stretch out your hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon the streams, upon the rivers, upon the ponds, upon the pools, that they become blood, both in vessels of wood and vessels of stone, wherever this water becomes blood. And Moses and Aaron did so, as the Lord commanded. And the fish that was in the river died, and the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, and the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, and our conviction is that the Word of God has never changed and never will. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In this lesson, we are seeing opposition by imitation and compromise. We are in Exodus chapter 7, verse 10. Here, Moses and Aaron confront Pharaoh with three separate miracles from God. But Pharaoh's magicians imitated them with their enchantments and magic arts. But they also go ahead and imitate the first two plagues, the first one of water to blood, the second of frogs to cover the land. But... They could not duplicate the third plague of lice or gnats on the land. It is at this point that the magicians realize that this plague is from God, the very finger of God. Dr. Mitchell warns the church of those who imitate Christ but are not real believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who himself delivers us from the wrath to come. With the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast, Let's open our Bible to Exodus chapter 7, verse 10, with Dr. Mitchell. Good day, friends. Again, it is our joy and delight to come to you, and we're studying together the book of Exodus. And we're in chapter 7, and we're dealing with the opposition to the purpose of God by imitation. And I wouldn't mind repeating one or two things, that Satan's method of Opposing the purpose and will of God is by, first of all, by violence, then by imitation, then by compromise. We find it so easily revealed here in the book of Exodus, in chapter 5, by violence. And now in chapter 7 is by imitation. And there are three signs given to us. Uh, the first one where Moses threw down his rod, or Aaron threw down the rod and became a servant, and the magicians did likewise with their enchantments. The same with the question of, of pouring out the water upon the ground became blood, the magicians did likewise. And then the question of the frogs, they did likewise. 
by imitation. I read verse 10, Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded, and Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, he became a servant. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. Now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments, for they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and he and God hardened or made strong Pharaoh's heart, that he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. I want to suggest something to you. In the book of Second Timothy, chapter 3, uh, in fact, chapter 3, right into chapter 4, the first few verses of chapter 4, you, you have where the word of God and the purpose of God is opposed by ignorance, then by imitation, then by rebellion against the truth. You remember uh, the names of these two men, these two magicians of Pharaoh, John is in John Ray, John is in John Bray's, who withstood Moses. So Paul goes on to say, in these days we have men just like them, who oppose the word of God by imitation. You remember that chapter starts with, in the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, bolsters, blasphemers, and so on, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Then he goes on to speak of Johnnies and Jambres. These also. In other words, we find a day in this blessed land of ours, a great deal of imitation Christianity. There are a great many people who are very, very religious, church members and so on, but have had no real experience with God. And so we follow along blindly, with no life, with no spiritual life, with no experience with God. But outwardly, apparently, Christians. There's a great deal of difference between churchianity and Christianity. A person can belong to a church and not be a Christian. A Christian is one who has been brought into right relationship with the Savior. A Christian is one who has eternal life. A Christian is one who has become a new creature in Christ. They have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's Son, as you have in Colossians 1, 12 and 13. One could go on by imitation. The resistance against truth by imitation. As I say, this is one of the peculiar resistances of the gospel in the last days. I've had men say to me, why, Mitchell, do you think think I'm a pagan? I'm no pagan. Well, I didn't accuse you of being a pagan. As one man asked me, he said, do you think I'm a pagan? I said, don't know. Are you? He said, no, I'm not a pagan. I believe in God. Oh, I said, what kind of a God do you have? Well, my God is love. Well, how do you know he is? That's a good question. How do you know that God is love? 
Now, don't go to the Bible. You don't believe the Bible. The revelation of the fact that God is love is given to us in the Scriptures. For herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. You take, you take the idolatry of the nations. You don't find any of that manifest love. I'm talking about real, genuine love. I'm not talking about, about immorality. I'm not talking about the, uh, that which you have, for example, at Ephesus, Diana of the Ephesians, which is an immoral religion. Where do you get this idea, this concept that God is love? Well, my friend, there's only one place. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. As that passage in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, I quoted verse 9 a few moments ago in the 10 verses of repetition except the change. He sent his son to be the propitiation, the redeeming sacrifice for our sins. He came to satisfy the holy, righteous character of God. My friend, let me get it very clear in your mind. Today there's a great deal of imitation. And just as these magicians withstood Moses and Aaron, withstood Jehovah, the living God, there are those today who do the same thing. Now, I'm not going to go on to the, uh, to the rest of the chapter where, where they poured water, in verse 14 on, they, they poured water on the ground, it became blood. And you remember in verse 19, the Lord said to Moses, Say unto Aaron, Take your rod and stretch out your hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon the streams, upon the rivers, upon the ponds, upon the pools, that it become blood, both in vessels of wood and vessels of stone, whatever this water becomes blood, and Moses and Aaron did so, as the Lord commanded. And the fish that was in the river died, and the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Now notice verse 22. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. They poured water on the ground, became blood. Throughout all Egypt, the magicians poured water on the blood, on the ground it became blood. Because someone does some apparent supernatural thing doesn't mean it's of God. You know, we've got an idea that if a miracle has been performed, it must be of God. Oh, no. Not necessarily so. We have a real enemy of our souls, the devil. He can do many, many things. He's a deceiver. I'm not surprised when I hear of witch doctors, for example, or some of the cults in our, in our own land where they claim to have the miraculous manifested. I'm not surprised at that. That does not mean it's of God. Oh, but someone says, I was healed. Yes, you can be healed. That may not be by God. And be careful about this. There are those who are imitating the things of God. Satan not only opposes the word and purpose of God by violence, but he also does it by imitation. And even when they sent the frogs out, you take chapter 8, go to Pharaoh. 
You say to him, let my people go, they may serve me. And if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your borders with frogs. And here you have the frogs coming out all over the place, you see. So he stretched out his hand, and he did so. Verse 7, And the magicians did likewise with their enchantments, and they brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. How did they do it? I don't know. But you've got imitation. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I let the people go that you may sacrifice unto the Lord. And Moses said, Glory over me, when shall I entreat for thee? And he said, You do it tomorrow. And he said, Be it according to your word. You may know that there is none like unto Jehovah. Mark again. You've got to know there's no God in the world. There's no one like Jehovah. As Isaiah says, Oh God, through Isaiah, I am God and besides me, there is none else. And so the frogs departed and they got him up. And when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart. So you have here the first, these first three. The rod became a serpent, the water became blood, and you have frogs all over. So you have imitation. And these magicians did exactly the same thing that Aaron did until you come to the next one. And then we come to chapter 8, 16. And right on from chapter 16, 8, 16 to chapter 10, 29. You have the opposition by compromise. It's the third one now. The first one, the opposition in chapter 5, was by violence. In chapter 7 and 8, the opposition is by imitation. Now we come to the last one. The opposition is by compromise, chapter 8, 16 to 10, 29. And there are seven signs given. There's the lice, the flies, the murrain, the boils, the hail, the locust, the darkness. Now, start verse 16. And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out your rod, smite the dust of the land. It may become lice, throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and smote the dust of the earth. It became lice in man and in beast. And all the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice. But they could not. So there were lice upon man and upon beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This, is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Oh, he didn't mark something. This is the finger of God. Now, here are these men who were the magicians of Pharaoh's court. They threw their rods down, it became a serpent, just like Aaron's rod. They poured water on the ground, it became blood. When Aaron brought... The frogs came, they did likewise with their enchantments. God just threw the dust on the earth, it became lice. And the magicians tried to do so with their enchantments and could not. Can I inject something here? And I'm not trying to be funny when I say this, but I've always, 
I would like to have had a picture of those magicians uh, with the lice upon them trying to produce lice. And I have an idea they were scratching themselves so much they didn't have time even to try and make lice. They could not. They came under the judgment of God, just like Pharaoh. And they said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Only to mark that these were things, supernatural things. They're bringing forth of frogs, for example, they throwing the dust on the earth, becoming lice. This is an act of one who's a creator, the act of God. You see, Pharaoh must know, he's got to know, that the God of Israel, Jehovah, is the only true God. And he fights every inch of the way against the revelation of God. As long as they have magicians, as long as they have gods in Egypt, there's still going to be this warfare. And he hardened his heart. Start verse 20. And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Oh, he cometh forth to water and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarm of flies upon you and upon your servants and upon your people, upon your houses. The house of Egypt shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground thereon and I will sever now notice verses 22 and 23 and I will sever in that day the land of Goshen in which my people dwell that no swarms of flies shall be there to the end you may know that I am Jehovah in the midst of the earth and I will put a division between my people and your people and tomorrow shall this sign be. I want you to mark this statement in verses 22, 23. God says, let my people go. And if you don't let them go, I'm going to fill the land with flies. Your houses, you'll be, your rooms of your house will be filled with flies. But there'll be no flies in Goshen. I will put a division between my people and your people. And tomorrow shall this sign be. I want you to mark, my friend, God has made a difference between the world and his people. When you and I accepted the Savior, we were taken out of this world. That is, we are no longer we no longer belong to this world. We're just pilgrims and strangers. Philippians 3.20 says our citizenship is in heaven. You remember in the book of Genesis, we were declaring to you the very first step in a walk with God was separation, chapter 12 of Genesis. And as you follow through Abram's life, he got separation. First of all, from his land, from his people, from his kindred. And then Lot was gone, and then Ishmael was gone. Then God says, give me Isaac. God wants us for himself. And God has made a difference between his people and Egypt, and between his people today and the world. 
God never intended us to live according to the society in which we live. We are to live according to the Word of God in any age, under any circumstance. And it's so easy for Christians, so easy for Christians to be entangled with the world. So let us go what it says. And the Lord did so. There came a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, into all the land of Egypt. And the land was corrupted by reason of the swarm of flies. And Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron and said, Go, you, you go, sacrifice to your God. But where shall you do it? But you do it in the land. It is not meet, says Moses, to do so. We shall be an abomination of the Egyptians. We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God. This is the first one. Worship your God, but worship him in the land. That means no separation. This would put Jehovah on the same ground as the gods of Egypt. May I remind you, in the first three centuries of this Christian era in which we live, in the early church for the first three centuries, if, if Jesus had been put as one among the gods of Rome, there would have been no persecution. Thousands of Christians were martyred. They were told to do one, one thing. They were said they were given salt. And if you put this salt before the bust of Caesar, you'll go free. If you do not put your salt before the bust of Caesar, you'll be martyred, you'll die. The question was, Jesus or Caesar? That became the issue. And was Caesar because we were all the gods of Rome? You take down in the book of Acts chapter 17 when Paul went down to Athens. They had so many gods that somebody built an altar to the unknown God. And Paul says, that's the one I'm going to talk to you about, whom you ignorantly worship. But to put Jesus as the only God, ah, that's different. That's different. Pharaoh says, worship your God in the land. We let you worship your God, but you do it in the land. My friend, God is not just one of the gods. He's the only God. And Moses said, no, sir. We've got to go three days' journey into the wilderness. I want you to mark this question with respect to, to this, this matter of doing it in the land. You know, I remember one of our high schoolers in Portland had a real testimony for God. He went down to Oregon State. And the boys with whom he had been raised and lived in the same community, went to high school together, went to college together. This boy became very bold in his testimony for the Lord to his friends. And they said, now look here, mention him by his name. We don't mind you, we don't mind you being a Christian, but you have your religion, we have ours. Now leave us alone. Leave us alone. Leave us alone. You've got your way and we've got our way. And so leave us alone. You see, friend, when you come along with the gospel of the grace of God, and there's only one Savior, as Peter says, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 
Even today, people say, well, Mitchell, you have your way, you have your philosophy, your religion, and I have mine. Now, leave me alone. You see, you see, friend, there is only one God. There could only be one God. There could only be one Savior. When you tell me, when you tell me, well, you go your way, now I'll go my way, as long as we're both earnest and both have faith, why, it's all right, my friend, no. No, there's only one Savior. Well, you're narrow, that's right. Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and narrow is the way that leadeth to life. There's only one Savior. I say it very distinctly, my friend, to your own heart. There could only be one Savior. God doesn't have a dozen ways of salvation. In fact, if you could save yourself, there would have been no need for Christ to come and die for us. And because there was no other way, God sent his Son to put away your sin by the sacrifice of himself. And I tell you, my friend, it's wonderful to know and you can pass from death to life by accepting God's way. There is only one Savior, and that's Jesus Christ, God's beloved Son. May he be real to you today. And Christian friend, walk with him today, will you? Walk with him today, and the Lord bless you. For his precious name's sake. We trust that your hearts have been blessed and encouraged through the study of God's Word. You may write to us with your comments and your prayer requests, to The Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. The Unchanging Word. And so until next time, this is The Unchanging Word radio broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.